Welcome to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Take your assigned seats and listen close as the next hour will have you rethinking the public education system. While you listen to Ross and his guests share their expertise and experiences in the field. Class is in session. Here is your host, Ross Danis. Welcome everyone to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what is possible not just what's wrong with our schools and our education system. Today, it's the final program of this series of programming. We're gonna provide encore presentations of Let's Reinvent School over the summer months and return with another 13 episodes beginning in September, 2022. Well, today's program has three parts. In the first part, we're gonna look back at some of what we've learned from our guests over these past 13 weeks. Together, we're gonna look back to look ahead at what's possible. We're pleased to welcome a very special guest today, Ms. Sabrina Gilchrist. Sabrina is the Executive Director of Right Moves for Youth, a nonprofit in Charlotte, North Carolina, committed to helping students in grades 6 through 12 graduate high school with a plan for their future success. Ms. Gilchrist excuse me, is an author, a public speaker, clinical mental health counselor, ordained Christian minister, a nonprofit professional, she served on, in the Charlotte community since 2010 through her work with Right and Loose for Youth. Sabrina also works with and has a private consulting practice and occasionally serves as an adjunct professor at Queens University of Charlotte. That's a lot. We're glad to have you. Welcome, Sabrina. Thank you. We're going to focus on the good work of Right Moves for Youth in our second segment. Right now, we're going to invite Sabrina to weigh in on any and all of the topics we surface in segment one. Early on, we dedicated an entire hour to what needs to happen to address the rise in violence in our schools. Greg Jackson, the founder of and director of Heal Charlotte, noted that more than any other generation, today's kids are far more likely to grow up with parents who abuse drugs, who get arrested, who go to prison, who disappear. And he said we have to address two generations and create stable environments for our young people. We also discussed the rise in our students becoming desensitized. You know, in addition to media violence, today's teenagers have grown up with Sandy Hook, with Parkland, and with the recent mass shooting in Texas. What's the answer? It's not complicated, but it is hard. We need to connect our kids to caring adults, engage them in meaningful activities. Love does conquer all. Sabrina, you know something about this. What can we as adults, as community partners, who care about our young people and their future do to help? Yeah, I love that question, Ross. And and what I will say is there are a few things that we can do and dare I say we should do. I think one of the first things we must do is actually listen to what our kids have to say. Um, All too often in youth services, um, well-intentioned adults who are educated and trained in all of these various disciplines we'll create interventions and strategies and we'll go in and try to implement them, but we fail to consider the voices of the children and their families and what they need and what would really work. Um, And so that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I would say, at least to start us off is let's listen to what the kids have to say Mm. um, and be open to hearing them um, across various mediums, um, be open to hearing them when they say the hard things Um, And then also taking a very trauma-informed approach and how we respond to what our kids need and what they say and their families. 
Um, those things are so necessary and a huge part of exhibiting and, sh- and sharing and spreading the love that says, I am invested in your success and in your well-being as a person. Now, I know there are listeners all over the world, frankly. We just found out that there are 23 people in Argentina listening and uh, people in Japan and all across the United States. Help us understand what trauma-informed practice is. Absolutely. Um, I can give you a Cliff Notes version, but I would definitely recommend folks to go do your homework, do your research. But essentially, taking an approach that, that takes into consideration that people have experienced very severe and significant um, events in their lives, including our children and especially our children. You know, we, we talk about the pandemic, for example, and the effects that it has had. Yes, that is a, a big T trauma um, that definitely has impacted all of us. But then we need to also consider the trickle down effect um, of big T traumas like the pandemic, like the violence and the shootings that have happened. Those are big T events. Um, But there are things that sprout from that that continue to perpetuate trauma. And so I'll use this example. Um, A child that is acting out in school is not just a bad child. This this child is acting out for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times the the behaviors we see, um, drug use, um, expansion, expulsions and suspensions, all of these things, they are symptoms of trauma that our children and their families have faced. Poverty is a trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, in, and even when we talk about um, this era of racial reckoning, as some have called it, there is a such thing as racial trauma. Our children are coming to school with all kinds of traumas in their bag. And we have to consider that and think about that versus approaching everything um, with the same strategy of, of discipline. Um, I do think we need to, to look at restorative practices. We need mm-hmm. to look at care and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to remember that these are, these are people, these are children. Um, these are not, they are more than the symptoms that they are displaying in front of us. So what I hear you saying is it's gonna take a lot more than metal detectors and clear backpacks. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I just read this morning an arrest at Harding High School of a student who's uh, accused of the murder of, a, of another young man back in on Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And my heart went out to both of them and to both families. I mean, I know one lost, you know, a, a son, but the other, you know, lost their son as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the pain is, the pain's real. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. two of our programs focused on creating a different kind of school, Shamalia Haynes helped us understand the value of community schools, you know, schools that are hyper-local and schools that respond to the unique needs of the community. A community school may have a medical or dental center, or depending on the community needs, the school may offer programs that help adults learn English or get their GED or even their driver's license. You know, once again, not complicated, just hard. Is it possible to create schools like that? You know, Ross, I think it is possible. I think we have to be willing to, to make the proper investments mm. so that these communities that are built um, are equitable. And I also, now, don't, okay. don't throw a stone at me. Um, I also think that it is equally important to make sure that we are exposing children to life outside of their localized communities as yeah. well. Um, you know, the world is big. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is great value and benefit in learning in your own community and connecting within your community. And we need to make sure we are intentional about building bridges so connections can be made outside of yes. their local communities as well. Yes. Well, you know, it's surprising when I first learned that only 20% of the hours in a, in a year a student spends in school. Mm. 80% of their time over the course of an entire year is spent outside of school. And the experiences that some kids get are profoundly different from the experiences other kids, let's say, don't get. Absolutely. Some are going home to watch their siblings and others are going off to book clubs and, you know, overnight camps and Mm -hmm. sporting activities and STEM activities. And the world begins to divide. Yes, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, experiences matter. And that's where I think our or two, our both or, both of our organizations overlap in our mission. Absolutely. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. We heard from Dr. Richard Maisel and Miss Mackenzie Dennis, who just happens to be my daughter, <laughs> um, my wonderful daughter, but um, about what it would take to create school environments that honor and celebrate different kinds of minds and intentionally address the social and emotional needs of young people. Dr. Maisel explained the framework of full value schools. They're like community schools, but with more of a focus on social and emotional learning as a foundation for everything that takes place in the school. I love the idea of community schools and full value schools. Our young people are longing for connections and support for their mental health. And our communities need to place that um, and need to respond to those specific needs of our kids. Sabrina, you know, um, have you seen much change in our schools over the years? You've been at this. <laughs> um. That's a loaded question, mm-hmm. Ross. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say, yes, I have seen things change. And in some ways, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the needs are greater. Um, I think we have lots of work to do in terms of reinventing what our educational system looks like and figuring out how to support the kids that are in front of us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and preparing for the kids that are coming. Um, Trends change, um, generations change, cultures change. And so, you know, I often tell people any organism that doesn't evolve is destined to die, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think we are invited in this time um, to figure out how we need to evolve as an educational system, how our schools need to evolve um, to meet the growing and the changing needs of our kids and our communities. so I, everything from how we can better support our teachers to how we can better engage parents, um, meet them where they are, um, supporting these kids as they're mm-hmm. trying to figure things out. And that does include um, providing that social and emotional support as well as that social and emotional learning. Right. Um, it is essential. Um, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, I thought about the, um, the idea of a child who had never been exposed to fine dining before mm. being given the opportunity to experience it and sitting at a table with other folks who clearly know because they've been in that space before. But this child is sitting there with all of the forks and the knives and the spoons, absolutely confused about, so which do I use and when? And I liken that to our educational system. We can't just give kids opportunity and we can't mm-hmm. just put the tools in front of them. They need the training and the coaching and the support to learn 
how to navigate these experiences. Um, and social and emotional learning and life skills are mm-hmm. essential to that. It's interesting you, you would bring that up because this year we, we held four sessions on etiquette mm-hmm. for the students in our program. And then it, the culminating activity involved taking them to the Duke Mansion for, for a very fancy luncheon. Yes. Fantastic. You know, with, with five courses and how to, you know, I learned stuff about how to stir your coffee without clinking the spoon on the edge of your, your cup. Absolutely. All of these things are just so important. And, you know, no one, no one teaches them directly in school. Right. You made me think, uh, you know, if I could go back and change one thing about schools in the last 30 or 40 years, it would be, it would be the day we, we became obsessed with standardized test scores. Mm-hmm. Because that has just evolved into a, a just a mess of, of making important what's measurable instead of measuring what matters. Absolutely. I, I right. agree with that 100%. And I will also say that the focus, the hyper-focus on standardized testing, I think, minimizes the different types of learning styles um, that children have. Um, right. You know, I, I can tell you as an example, um, I'm a, some would say a highly educated person and I do not do well on standardized tests. Mm-hmm. And it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not because I can't think, it's not because I'm, I'm not educated or smart enough, I just don't test well. Right. Um, and so I think that we have to be careful, again, to see the whole child and not pigeonhole um, children based on one or two metrics. Lots of ways to be smart. By the way, Elon Musk uh, doesn't do well on standardized tests. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so many so many of the people who have created so many wonderful things in our world were kids who couldn't sit still in school. Exactly. It would have been medicated for God's sakes. Thank God they, you know, we didn't medicate uh, Da Vinci because he had these flights of fancy about helicopters and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So I'd love to be able to embrace more of that in our schools. Among the many topics that we talked about and, and you'll return to as part of our encore episodes over the next four months is the one that focused on how we can retain and recruit quality educators. Very insightful Brian Osborne, a former superintendent of schools and now a current professor of education. Mr. Jolin Shields, former teacher and principal and current career pathways advisor at MECED, and including the 58th mayor of, of uh, Charlotte and MECED's chair of the board, uh, Mayor Jennifer Roberts, all discussed what it would take to keep teachers quality teachers in our classrooms because they're leaving in droves. We know that just in Charlotte alone, Mecklenburg County, over 1,100 teachers left the classroom since August, mm-hmm. over 50 principals. The takeaway from that episode is that it's not money. Mm-hmm. It's not money. No one entered because it was, was financially rewarding. Teachers are demoralized. Mm-hmm. They want the support of parents. And they want the support of their principals in particular. They don't want to be looked at as a test score. Yes. And if they don't have these things, you know what? Money becomes really important to them. It's like the more toxic a job, the more you have to pay somebody to do it. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to have to focus on the root causes of why teachers are leaving and make some big changes if we're going to recruit and retain quality educators. What do you hear from teachers? I'm sure you hear like, like why they're leaving and what frustrates them. Yes, everything that you just said. Um, and I will say money is part, <laughs> part of what oh, I'm yeah, hearing. True that. Um, you know, especially when um, they are being recruited by um, other states or other counties that um, are offering them more pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also it is exactly what, you, what you're saying. There is the sense of, of feeling demoralized, feeling undervalued, underappreciated. 
um, folks not taking the time to see how much our teachers really are investing themselves, their energy, their hearts, and even their resources, because we know that a lot of our classrooms are under-resourced. Um, so teachers are taking the little bit of money that they are making, and they're providing supplies and resources to try to teach these classes to the best of their ability. And then at the end, there's a test score. Hmm. And if the test score doesn't look like what people say it should, you know, you get this, this label almost of, of being a teacher who doesn't teach or right. who doesn't want to or who doesn't care. That's a huge overgeneralization mm-hmm. and it can be damaging. You know, I just um, I spoke before the county commissioners in support of the Charlotte Mecklenburg School budget. And I reminded them that, you know, currently teacher assistants make $15 an hour. And we're looking, CMS is looking to increase that to $16.50 an hour. The same day I stopped at QT for gas and I saw a sign in the window that said assistant managers starting at 52.8 plus tuition reimbursement. And then an ad for part-time clerks for 19 $19.45 an hour, also tuition reimbursement. Mm-hmm. So when I was checking out, I said to the woman, the clerk at the desk, I said, I can't believe they're paying $19.45 an hour Teacher assistants are only making 15. She goes, I know, I used to be a teacher assistant. Wow. So you're right, money does matter. You have to pay people a living wage, especially in places that are expensive to live. Exactly. And there are other little things that we don't, excuse me, often surface. One is pensions aren't portable. Correct. So, you know, like if, you're, if you have 10 years in the system in one state and you're inclined to come to North Carolina, that doesn't transfer over. Mm-hmm. To start from scratch again. So we have to figure out some things and they have to figure it out fast because it's a crisis. Absolutely. You know, I agree in our schools. So this has been interesting, fascinating, actually, Sabrina, we're going to take a break in just a moment. When we do, you're going to learn more about MECED, the nonprofit that I'm proud to lead in Charlotte, North Carolina. When we return, we shift gears and put a spotlight on the good work of right moves for youth. Until then, uh, stay tuned. The best is yet to come. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. It's called to make sure that every every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th- I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. 
uh, career pathways. We work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like, you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Janis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Janis. Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what's possible, not simply what's wrong. Let's look at a bright spot in what can sometimes be a dark conversation about how to prepare young people to thrive. By the way, thrive is one of my favorite words. In school and beyond, Right Moves for Youth uses a group counseling model that helps students come to school, do the right things, strengthen social skills, and get ready for college and the workforce. In the program, students grow together and build positive relationships to excel academically, socially, and emotionally. They've been doing this for over 27 years, and they provided services to more than 30,000 students, quality, impactful services to underserved students in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg community in North Carolina. Their life skills curriculum helps engage students in topics such as personal development, health and wellness, education, college and career exploration, 
decision-making, organization, relationships, finances. Oh, my. This curriculum assists our students, their students, in developing the skills to face real-world challenges, to thrive in their future, not our past. Yes. So we're, we're here with Sabrina. Uh, uh, we're lucky to have her, the executive director of Right Moves for Youth. I have to say, I feel like MECED and Right Moves for Youth are kindred spirits in terms of our commitment to providing young people with the skills and experiences to thrive in and beyond school. I have some questions. I have some answers. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, you all focused on specific schools or specific students? How do you, how does someone get involved with your program? Yeah, so um Year over year, we have a site list, so a list of schools that we target to serve. Um, and then inside of each of those schools, we look to run anywhere from three to four groups of students. Um, our groups are small groups, so no more than 15 kids in, in each group. Um, but we choose these schools that we target um, each year based on need, based on interest in our services, and in collaboration, you know, we're very intentional about having conversations with our partners to make sure we're serving in the right places. So conversations with local law enforcement, conversations with the school system itself to make sure that as far as our capacity can take us, that we can serve the right schools and, and the right students. And by that, I mean those who could benefit most from our services. Do they have, or do you have certain criteria that you use to, to screen them? Because I'm sure that there are more students with needs than you have the capacity to serve. Absolutely. We yeah. have a wait list of schools. We have mm. a wait list of students inside of the schools we are serving. Um, and what I'll say is one of the uh, blessings or, or silver linings, maybe I should say, mm. um, from the pandemic is that it did shift, I think, all of us um, into a digital world to figure mm. out how do we serve um, kids um, remotely. And so that has opened up some of our capacity we started doing virtual groups during the pandemic, and we continue to do so um, to try to address um, strategically and sustainably this growing uh, wait list that we have of, of students. Um, so we're mm -hmm. trying to take uh, strategic approaches to grow our impact and to scale to serve more. Do, do you stay with the same group of students over time or year after year they change? Well, the goal is to stay with the, with the kids as long mm -hmm. as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, we know that when you're dealing with um, vulnerable or underserved populations, there are challenges that arise. So we may have kids that are transient. We may have kids that um, no longer attend a school that we're serving and they're attending somewhere else, sometimes even outside of the county um, in which we are serving. And so we may have some attrition. Uh, but back in, I think, 2012, we did um, a third party evaluation. And what we found is on average, a kid stays with Right Moves for Youth for about three or four years. Wow. Um, sometimes that's not consecutive. Um, mm -hmm. So they may be with us in the sixth grade, not with us in the seventh grade, come back in the eighth grade, you know. Um, but there is that kind of three year average that we get with children. We are fortunate to have some that we've served from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade. Um, and we hear them say wonderful things about mm -hmm. what brought them to Right Moves and why they stayed with Right Moves. Mm -hmm. um, and because we've been around since 1989, um, it's really amazing in the role that I'm in to see parents who were in Right Moves for Youth and their children mm -hmm. are now in Right Moves for Youth or alumni 
from Right Moves for Youth coming back and volunteering with our program. Oh, it's fantastic. That's really special. I know we get the same feeling when we do college tours and the tours are given by our alum. Yes. You know, who are beautifully walking backwards, telling all, us all about the school and yes. makes you feel good. We know it's a little different about our program and because we are Charlotte Works in-school youth provider mm-hmm. and it's WIOA funded, federally funded. Uh, we get to stay with young people from the time they enter as sophomores through, you know, up to two years beyond high school. Fantastic. And that that really makes a difference because that that's when we can check in with them. Did you get that certification? Uh, let me help you with that. Let us help you. Um, you know, we have dorm room packages in our back in our garage that we help get them set up in college and uh, can sometimes pay for things that they wouldn't normally be able to pay for. Mm-hmm. So there's a supportive services budget. I have to say transportation's brutal. It you is. know, getting kids back and forth to internships and programs. I'm <clears throat> I'm thinking about writing a, an op-ed, you know, that talks about you can't have economic mobility without mobility. I love that. Right? I you are absolutely right and I echo that and I will read it. Okay. <laughs> and share it. It takes, you know, our students they live on the east and west and we get them internships through them in the north or the south and it takes them 90 minutes yes. if they go into the center of the city and then go back out again. So that's a really critical part of it. And yep, they, many of them go off to college, but many of them, you know, you know, get certified in something, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a CNA license, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the inside joke around here, and we, we kid about it, but we actually adore it, is that we say, don't these kids ever exit? Right. <laughs> you know, because they're still, you know, following us on Instagram and they'll come yep. back to visit and if God forbid they don't see their picture on the wall. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it does become like family to them. Absolutely, it does. So you you do engage families probably more than we do. What, do you have, what's your strategy for engaging families? Yeah, you know, I so I tell people this. Um, right Moves for Youth does not have yet um, a, a specific parent or family pillar um, that is that is in the dream, that's in the works, that's in the vision um, to have this robust. Um, service package that we're offering. Um, However, kind of like how I started off, Mm. our kids are great tools and resources that are underutilized um, in reaching parents. And so um, a lot of our work focuses on the children, communicating, making sure children understand, and then also our efforts to reach out to parents. So we will call parents, we will email parents, um, we will invite parents to come and, and see the activities and the work that we're doing with Bright Moves for Youth. And I think one of the things that really um, draws our, our families in is that we are intentional about inviting families to see the ways in which their children are succeeding mm-hmm. um, in our program and through our program. So our award ceremonies, um, our presentation nights that our student leaders do, you know, we're very intentional um, about saying, come and see, um, come see what your, what your children are doing. And we have been known um, to call parents just to say, hey, just want you to know mm-hmm. Timmy's doing great, mm-hmm. um, which is not necessarily something parents often get. Most of the time when parents no, no. are called, they're being told Timmy's yeah. acting up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come pick Timmy up. Uh, but we, we're intentional about doing the opposite. We want parents to know your kids are, are they're growing. And I think that's another huge piece and, and something that I've heard parents say that they appreciate is we don't necessarily wait until the kid graduates with a diploma in hand. Mm-hmm. 
but we're noting all along the way the progress that's being made. You know, if, if Timmy missed 15 days of, of school last year and this year only missed 10, that's progress. Yes, ma'am. That's growth. And we, we recognize that and we say to parents, great job. We're so mm-hmm. proud. Now let's, let's see what, what, what we can do next year. So I think parents really value that. And I think the other thing that really draws our families in is that they know we genuinely care. We care about these kids. We care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been known to, it's been unfortunate. There have been years when we've lost children um, in the program mm-hmm. to, to violence or, or something. Um, we have been known to show up at funerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and make sure parents see us. Um, mm-hmm. And so in the good times and in the challenging times, we do the best that we can to be present. And that yep. makes parents want to be present for us and with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. That and food. Oh, yes. We do feed them all the time. We <laughs> okay. feed the, the families. We feed the children. It mm-hmm. has to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, Greg Jackson um, from Hill Charlotte was telling me about this. And it's the first time I heard this expression. And I dare say it's probably un, you know, inappropriate for me to say it, but he talked about a black tax. He said that most of the young people he knows who, when they get jobs, their money goes back. It goes back to pay for a car uh, repair or for a medical bill or to pay the rent in their family's home. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he asked me if, if, if that's the case with our kids. We have two children, two grandkids, and I thought, my God, our money just goes forward. It doesn't go back. I would never expect that, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, to come back this way. And, and we've discovered that so many of our youth that we work with, they left college during the pandemic. They come home and work. Yeah. They big chunk of their checks go back to their household. And I've often thought it would be great to have some kind of a two generation approach where we could have somebody or some organization take care of the families mm-hmm. so that it would liberate the young person to, you know, chart the course to their own future. And I'm not, I say that with an understanding that I totally appreciate the love that they bring and then the, and their commitment to their family. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to get ahead when you're, you're sort of looking back. Absolutely. You know, in the mental health world, we would call that um, we have a lot of, of kids who are parentified children. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these young people who are not necessarily able of, uh, to, to be kids but they are having to be adults so early. Things like the responsibility of not just, not just watching my younger siblings here and there, but literally having to take care of my younger siblings because mm-hmm. my, my parents are off to work mm-hmm. and we have to live this way in order to survive. You know, we're, we're in this survival system that really has to be disrupted. And like you said, that support given to young people and their families. Um, a lot of times people are just trying to make it. Yes. Yep. I know they are. And it's and particularly these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I've learned two things uh, in, the, in the last 40 minutes. One is parentified children and yes. <laughs> big T events. Yes. Big <laughs> T traumas. Yes. Big T traumas. Yep. I got it. Yeah. All, all too real. So um, in terms of, of what makes your program successful, how do you track it then? I mean, you said you did that study in 2012, but how do you know if you're being successful? Yeah, so that was our third party program evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have evaluation methodologies that we follow every single year. Um, so we do receive um, student data um, from the school system. So we're able to, to monitor and track things like absenteeism and suspensions. 
graduation and promotion mm-hmm. rates. Um, we also conduct um, senior surveys. So mm-hmm. students who are about to graduate, that's how we check in and see, hey, did you get that, that acceptance letter to college or did you enlist or are you going straight into the workforce? Um, how can we support that? Um, so every year we, we check our, our impact that way. And then also the anecdotal um, stories mm-hmm. that are shared by kids and their families and their parents um, about the impact that this program has made and the connections we've been able to make um, between our kids and other uh, resources and, and folks in the community. So I, there are countless kids who get internships um, because mm. of some connection uh, that Right Moves may have with, with some other entity. Um, mentors are essential for them. And so that exposure to other adults um, who are invested in them, building social capital um, mm. is huge. And so we, we have those kids that come back and tell us I'm succeeding, I'm doing well. And then we also have the volunteers that stay with us for so many years because of the relationships that are built. And so our tagline is building better lives through extraordinary relationships. Um, Mm. And that is at the heart of everything we do. So, you know, qualitatively, we're looking at how are the relationships that are being built, but then quantitatively, we are looking at educational outcomes and all the numbers. Right. The numbers I know. And, you know, we talked about measuring what matters instead of you know, instead of measuring, you know, what people want us to measure mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and I get it. Federal programs, it's all about numbers. How many students, how many internships, how many job shadows, how many mm-hmm. work experiences. And when we say, okay, that's important, but let's talk about how many lives have been transformed yes. and, and what had to happen for those lives to be transformed. Um, yeah, that's what success looks like. And, you know, um, I think back to, to, um, some of the experiences I've had where I've, I was at a dinner party a couple of years back. And I remember a person sitting to my left mentioned that his daughter just graduated from college and the vice president of bank of America was at the same table. He just reached across and gave him the card mm-hmm. and had her call him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, somebody, we got to do that for our kids. Absolutely. Right. Got to serve that really as that person that makes that contact. Yes. We say our, our thing around here is we say we loan them our social capital till they can build theirs. Nice. Right. That's, that's amazing. So as usual, time flies when we get into these conversations about how to best prepare our schools and help our kids thrive. We are going to take a short break. And during the break, you're going to learn more, even more about MECED, as well as more about Right Moves for Youth, two organizations with a very similar mission to ensure that young people are on a path to a bright future. And when we return, we're going to continue our discussion about what we've learned today, as well as what we've learned over the past few months. Thanks. We'll see you on the other side. People often ask us, what makes Bright Moves for Youth different? Well, our secret sauce is in how we serve kids. Group mentoring based on a group counseling model. Bright Moves for Youth groups emphasize earning the high school diploma, cultivating social and emotional well-being, becoming college and career ready, and developing a personal sense of leadership and civic duty. Right Moves for Youth, we're building better lives through extraordinary relationships. Won't you join us? My experiences with Meked, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. 
I think I think I do think Medcat is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students, and it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so Medcat means opportunity, family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways. We work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had, through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would 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 do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not. I don't know. Having someone to talk to, and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MetCAD's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School, the program that tries as hard as we can to focus on what's possible and not linger on What's wrong with our schools? Well, we're here with Sabrina Gilchrist. 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 Thank you. Sorry about that. It's really been enlightening. And before we ask ourselves what we've learned today, let me turn to you, Sabrina. You're someone with a deep and extensive background in working in the service of young people and their learning. What what gives you hope? The kids themselves. Um, You know, 
these children are absolutely amazing human beings. Um, they just need an opportunity to show you how amazing they are. Um, and they need the support to actualize and to let all of that potential out. But um, I'll, I'll quickly give this example, Ross, you know, Right Moves for Youth has a program called the Ambassadors Program, and it is our intentional youth leadership um, initiative. And every month kids come together, they're learning and gaining and practicing leadership skills, but they're given a challenge to tackle something, some social, um, some social issue that matters to them. So we tell them, you know, within certain parameters, you can choose what you want to do. You can, you can do, and then they do their research and they pull things together and then they offer their solutions. Um, this year, I was so proud of these kids because they got to choose organizations that they wanted to raise awareness and funds for. Hmm. So we were teaching them the power of philanthropy, even at their age. Um, and to see these kids do that hard work and get up and speak so passionately about these causes that mean something to them and offer solutions and techniques and telling the adults, this is why I tell people, listen to these kids, um, telling us how we can make a difference, how things can change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and listening to our kids do that, it lights a fire in me every time. Mm -hmm. um, these kids are amazing if people would just take the time to get to know them. Um, I tell people when you start working with these kids, you fall in love and, and you stay with it because they are our hope. They are our future. Now that's a lot of pressure to put on them, mm -hmm. but I believe that very deeply that these kids are amazing. Um, and they just need to know that we know that about them. Yeah, they are amazing and, and resilient. Absolutely. I mean, right. I would take any one of the young people, any one of them uh, who've become successful in part because they just, They'll climb over every every hill. They'll crawl through glass to be successful. You know, yes. they'll do whatever it takes. And they've they've weathered some things that most young people, you know, many young people don't have to weather. Mm -hmm. And and because of that, I think their character is stronger in addition to everything else that mm -hmm. they bring to the table. Uh, I'm, I couldn't agree more. These young people give me hope um, in a time when there's sometimes it's hard to find. Absolutely. I, you know, I love, I love all people, or at least I try to, but I will take a group of teenagers, mm -hmm. um, necessarily over a huge group of, of adults any day. Uh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we had James Ford on the program, um, a few episodes back talking about equity and, and we also had Marta, uh, Duval from, uh, bilingual preschool you know, Charlotte's bilingual preschool, also talking about equity. And, you know, it's fascinating to me how different, how the world divides somewhere around third grade. And all of a sudden, some kids get remediated. Some kids get enriched. Mm -hmm. Some kids get to do worksheets and skill and drill activities. And the other kids are doing plays and simulations. And then that, and how those decisions get made, I, I find to be really interesting. I don't think it's an accident. Frankly, I think that there's, there's a bias there that somehow perpetuates itself. And so all of a sudden you get to eighth grade and some kids get pre-algebra and others get algebra. And then in high school, kids who got pre-algebra get algebra, the others get geometry. Mm -hmm. And for the kids that got the pre-algebra, there's no calculus at the end of that. And this is how the system's designed. Yes. It's designed so that some are, you know, launched into a place they're traveling with different children, mm -hmm. uh, with different social aspirations. Uh, versus another group of kids that have just been, I, I knew someone who said that they get fed a, it, they call it word swallowing 
They said school is an exercise in word swallowing, mind stuffing, cognitive anesthesia. Mm. And I thought, well, I don't know if it's that bad, but it's pretty, <laughs> pretty close, right? It's pretty close to where, you know, how these kids get tracked one way mm-hmm. and another group of kids get tracked another way. Mm-hmm. And it probably begins even earlier than that in preschool. I was going to say, when we consider yeah. the um, the school to prison pipeline, mm-hmm. when we consider, you know, we, we see these kinds of trends happening as early as pre-K. Um, you know, I don't know how a, a, a pre-K kid gets expelled already. <laughs> what did they do right. to be expelled? Right. But we see that happening, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It, it is yep. early conditioning. Um, mm-hmm. And that it, that limits the journey of these children, but also inevitably what we know is that kind of stuff also limits opportunity unless intentional um, interventions are done to to course correct. Mm. You know, when in high school, we talk about disciplinary actions being disproportionately allocated to black and brown kids Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, if you light a trash can on fire, you're going to be suspended because it's pretty objective. It's clear what you've done. But if you look at me the wrong way, you know, that's a subjective call. Mm-hmm. You know, insubordination is really subjective. It is. So, um, you know, perhaps spending time with teachers, professional development, making sure you hire uh, in a certain way. I remember as a principal, one of the questions I would ask in an interview for a teacher was, so, uh, Miss Johnson, do you think all kids can learn to really high levels? And if Miss Johnson said, well, you know, sometimes what you see is what you get. I think to myself, I wish there was a trap door that I could just push a button and have <laughs> Because, Miss Johnson, you don't belong in this school. Yeah. Right? You know, it's unfortunate. That's a psychological effect. Um, I believe it's called the Hawthorne effect. When you expect that people will act a certain way or perform a certain way, mm. they are more likely to do just that. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's so important that people approach our children and approach our schools, approach our education with this mindset that these can these kids can achieve they can learn they can grow Um, how they do that and how we need to help them do that may look Mm. a little different in fact i would argue it probably should look a little different at this point um but it's not impossible these kids absolutely can achieve james also talked about how there's data now that suggests that some teachers are better at teaching underserved kids um than than they would than other people. I don't know much. I don't want to go much further because I'm on ground that I don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. But he says that it would be interesting to try to match teachers with with uh, in schools, Title I schools in particular, mm-hmm. who have a, a, a you know a, a proven track record of working in those schools. Yes. And yet we find out that 75% of the people who work in Title I schools leave before their fifth year. And they often get assigned the teachers with the least experience. Mm-hmm. And not that not that that means you're a good or bad teacher. It's right. just that, you know, you don't have the experience yet. So those are things that have to change. I will say, I'm going to switch back to what gives me hope. Um, Ms. Duran from the uh, Mecklenburg County's Bilingual Preschool, Charlotte, excuse me, Charlotte Bilingual Preschool, talked about recruiting teachers from her parents because many of the parents of the kids at the preschool had degrees back in Costa Rica, nice. like in Latin America. And she says, all we have to do is just get them a few extra courses and get them certified. 
now they're working in our school teaching kids. I'm thinking, what a brilliant idea. Absolutely. Right? Because you're helping on so many different levels. Now you're helping the parents, you're helping the kids, you're solving one of your problems and you're solving the problem of the parent. So that's a very creative and I'd like to see more of that. I don't know how she does it. It's hard to get a teaching certificate transferred from South Carolina to North Carolina. <laughs> I can't imagine Costa Rica. God bless her. But but kudos to her for for a being brave enough to to do something like mm-hmm. that and then to stick with it and and see it through. Um, that's the the kind of creativity we need. Um, mm-hmm. When you talk about what is possible, all things are possible if we are brave enough to dream big enough and to and to put effort behind those dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing um, that that they've done over there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. And, you know, there are teachers out there who are in, and I say this with great respect, who are subversive and, and you know, do what they know needs to be done in spite of what they have to do. And I just had uh, lunch with one on Sunday uh, and she was explaining, she's a history teacher, I'll name her name, but she was saying that, you know, I teach um, what the book tells me to teach. And then I teach the thing that the book isn't, doesn't address mm-hmm. in, in our history. Yes, yes. So, you know, I give to Caesar, so to speak, what, what's required. Right. And then we spend time. I address all of the other things that aren't in, in the textbook. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what we call that, but I call it good teaching. I call it good teaching, too. And I, yeah. I call it relevant teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, these kids, yes, they need to learn what the textbook says and all of that. Um, but we've got to also remember that we have to make it real and relevant to their lives. And mm-hmm. so we, we know that there are still things that we're dealing with from, from history um, that are showing up and that are impacting our kids. When we begin to engage dialogue around those things, it makes it real for our kids no kidding. and it draws them back into where they may be disengaged or disengaging mm-hmm. that begins to draw it back, draw them back into the conversation and into the room um, so that they can learn and apply um, yeah. those, those lessons. I do recall as a former social studies teacher, middle school, that I found that young people love to find things wrong with the textbook. Like, <laughs> like just love it. And so we would find statements like America is based on majority rule. And, you know, I had kids in class who came from Central America. They're going, what America? Central America? Mm-hmm. South America? North America? Lots of different Americas. Oh, you mean the United States of America? Mm-hmm. I go, that's not right. It's pretty arrogant uh, to assume that the, everybody knows what you mean. And then, then I said, well, go find out if America is based on majority rule. And they go, okay. They come back to me. Like they were telling me something. They go like, Hey, Mr. Dennis, there's this thing called the electoral college. I'm like, go on, you know, <laughs> go on. Tell me more about it. Mm-hmm. And to your point, like if you engage them in really interesting, meaningful activities, man, they'll, they'll just surprise you. Absolutely. And give them the chance to teach you. Like we, yes. we may know this stuff, <laughs> But we take a we take a right. tutorial stance. Teach me something. Give, uh-huh. give me a different perspective. These they love that, especially adolescents. Oh my god! Because adolescents just developmentally are crazy, uh, and I say that lovingly. Me um, too. And and also they want to they will challenge you. That's that is developmentally appropriate for them. And so we've got to find ways to let them do what teenagers do. Yeah. Um, in the hopes of 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 them learning. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I yeah. Love that. yeah. So when, you know, 12 year old comes back to you and says, you know what, there's this thing, we're a Republic. We're not, we're an indirect democracy. I'm like, that's deep, man. <laughs> Dude. So, mm-hmm. 
and in terms of their creativity of our young people, which I find, you know, that's what we have to work on too, because they're, they're all innately creative. Yes. Everybody is. Um, and then school sometimes happens to you and we, we become vending machines for right answers when in fact, most of the great things in life came from failure. Yes. You know, scientists fail hundreds of times before they come up, come up with a vaccine or a solution to a problem. Absolutely. The more we have to find ways to liberate our teachers and help our schools, help our kids become more critical, more creative. We have to love on them. Yes. You know, connect yes. them to people in our community, to each other. Absolutely. Like, like the good work that you and your team do. Thank you. Uh, and the, the team you will soon have after you hire the next seven people. Yep. <laughs> team. I know. So this has been delightful. And I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to get to know each other a little, little better here today. Absolutely, well. Ross. I've enjoyed the conversation and just really appreciate the opportunity to weigh in on, on some of these issues. Yeah, you're terrific. Great educator and a real blessing um, here in Charlotte. And, you. and right moves for youth as well. Thank you. So listen to our audience um, out there listening today. We want to thank you for the over 3,000 downloads since we launched back in March. We even have listeners in Argentina, in Japan, Russia, Ireland, and Spain. We thank you, Sabrina Gil. Gilchrist. Gilchrist. <laughs> I got it. I'll never forget it now for all the good work that you would do with your team and all of the volunteers we should add at Right Moves for Youth. Absolutely. So remember, you can find this episode and, and all of our episodes on the web. Just, just say, uh, Siri, play Let's Reinvent School, and you'll find it. We're going to go into uh, encore presentations over the summer, and then we return for 13 more episodes in September. Oh, and by the way, you can find MechEd and Write Moves for Youth on the web by simply typing their names into your browser. And donations are not only welcome, we depend on them to continue to provide these important services to young people. It's been a pleasure to honor hosting Let's Reinvent School. It's humbling to know that so many of you out there care about and spend some of your valuable time thinking about and exploring what's possible and what it will take to create the schools our kids deserve and provide the experiences they need to thrive. If I could sing it, I would, but I think the best way to say it is just simply to say it. See you in September. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we give you some more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.